Coach Bud Wilkinson is, was a coach of the Oklahoma football team. I would assume this is the Sooners. And he once said that a football game is a strange paradox. There's something very weird going on. Because it's, it's 22 men out on the field in desperate need of a rest. And they're surrounded by thousands of spectators in the stands in desperate need of exercise. Pretty much sums up any college or professional football game. And sadly, this is the way that Western Christianity, evangelicalism, has been going for a number of decades. Spectatorism, or what can also be called clergyism, where in general, the, the average member of a, of, of a church body is a spectator watching their clergy do the ministry, if you will, or their minister. Our 2022 focus is on personal discipleship. So in these messages, we're just kind of, of launching that, but it's something that we want to be focusing on as a body throughout this year of 2022. And for 2022 to be a launching time for it to in, impact us for the next decade even. We springboarded into this subject out of our time in Hebrews 10, where we read in Hebrews 10 verses 24 through 25, which I'm sure you're familiar with by this time, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As leadership, we are confident that God wants us to equip you as harvesters with this tool that, that we've been referring to for a number of years and, and that we are um, kind of adopting as our, our process. It's, it's something that's unique to us. And I'm sure other people do this in other ways or maybe they've, they've thought it up in, in the exact same terms even, but it's not something that we get out of a box or something. But it's something we call three-layer discipleship. As you, as you see here, uh, if, if you imagine three-layer discipleship is, is uh, dealing with an issue of following Christ. It might be a sin issue that we're trying to move forward. It might be learning how to, to have personal devotions. It might be a spiritual discipline like scripture memory. Or it might be a, a walk of life like parenting children. But if you imagine, if you will, the whole of your relationship with Christ is being like a city, okay? And um, we are, in a lot of ways, through the time we spend together as a corporate body, we're laying the foundation of that city. But if you think about uh, our individual aspects of following Christ together, like I said, maybe, maybe learning how to share our faith, with our friends. Think of that as being like a building within that city. And that building needs to be laid on a strong foundation. And, and thinking about discipleship, that strong foundation needs to be a strong, a good understanding of what Scripture has to say about that. Or the foundation of teaching, biblical teaching on the matter. And then it helps to lay upon that foundation, seeing it demonstrated. Let's say if it's an area of 
uh, having personal devotions. This is why it's valuable for us as parents or for us as grandparents to sit down with those children and have devotions with them. It's not just what's being taught at that time, but they're also seeing demonstrated what it looks like to to bow our heads and ask the Lord to teach us from his word, what it looks like to read God's word together and and draw some things off of it, what it looks like to, to, to seek to dedicate ourselves to follow what his word has to say. You can see how just having personal devotions with your children or with your, your grandchildren, it's more than just laying that foundation of teaching. You're demonstrating how that's done. You're getting them the opportunity to see that being done. And then to lay on top of that building within the city of your, your personal walk with the Lord, if you will, to seek out someone to coach you in that area. Or to sit down with that, that person that you're walking in relationship with and say, could you use some, some coaching? Can I, can I help you in developing a, devo- a devotional life yourself? Or, or can, I, can I help you in um, walking with Christ at your workplace? And what that looks like to intentionally pour into um, a person's, another person's life or seek that in our life in, an, in a no, an understanding of this is what's going on rather than just an incognito way. That would be that coaching level that we would add to those first three layers of this approach to discipleship. So this morning we're learning from Paul's letter to Titus and how he was to accomplish the three layers of discipleship. Now, I've referred back to 2015 a few times. And in 2015, we were in the book of Titus. And we were walking through that, and we were in these uh, verses um, 1 through 8 of uh, chapter 2 of the book of Titus. And at that time, we were talking about the three-layer approach to discipleship. And so you might be thinking, well, isn't that what we've kind of always talked about? No. Well, this is the point where we are adopting this as the approach that we are taking to try to encourage one another. This is as leadership, as small group leaders and such. We want to be e- equipped and being, be equipping other people in how to lead one another through the process of personal discipleship. And so this is the tool that we are adopting. So let's look at what Paul has to say to Titus and see how the three layers of personal discipleship pop up in these verses. He says, but as for you, Paul speaking to the Titus, the, the, the young pastor that he has mentored for years, as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself, still speaking to Titus, in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned 
so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. The main idea that I want to get across to you here this morning, and it was the main idea that we, we, were, we were communicating, we were focusing in on together in 2015 when we looked at these verses, and it is this. In any area of following Christ, we are able to be more effective as we have a strong foundation laid, see how, God, how to obey God in the area, and are coached by a fellow Christian. So as we talked about, uh, the whole of our walk with Christ, you consider that like a city. So for each area of following Christ, in any area of following Christ, we're able to be more effective as we have a strong foundation laid, see how, see how to obey God in that area, and are coached by a fellow Christian. You know, when I was traveling with Kelly... Uh, we uh, uh, drove up to Wisconsin on Friday to attend her aunt's funeral and, and um, drove back yesterday. And we saw a sign on a church uh, building. And I, this isn't the exact sign. I, I kind of made this sign. Um, but I read that and I was like, what is that saying? And we kind of were discussing it. I understand in terms of evangelism, the simplicity of the gospel, how amazing it is that God's grace, he does so much, and all it is that we need to do is to receive that grace. But they were talking about more than that. I mean, imagine this in terms of discipleship. He gives so much, but asks so little. How does that jive with Matthew 28, 19 through 20, what we know is the Great Commission. Seems like more than a little when we're told, go therefore and make disciples. Seems like God's asking for more than a little there. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Hebrew believers that we've been talking about as we've been walking through the book of Hebrews... A huge point in their crossing the, the line, they're, they're crossing the Rubicon, if you will, in their relationship with God and their relationship with the church body was being baptized. Was announcing, basically, I'm done with, I, I consider Judaism incomplete. The Messiah has come. Jesus is the Messiah. And I am being baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son, Jesus Christ, and of the Holy Spirit. That, to be baptized for those Hebrew believers was uh, to be ostracized by the rest of their culture. And not just that. Notice what, what we're also told as a part of making disciples. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Observing or obeying what it means, all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It, it doesn't sound like God asks so little. We're called to be disciples of Jesus, following Jesus, crossing the line. I belong to him. And being taught and teaching others to obey all that he's commanded us. I'm going to share with you a quote that uh, Dr. Jeff Van Gothen, who was the speaker at our men's retreat, which focused on discipleship, 
he shared this quote. It says, and, and I don't know where it came from, but every Christian should be familiar with the Great Commission, but they seldom grasp the fact that it has deep personal implications for everyone who names the name of Christ. Instead, they see themselves as spectators in the great, com- in the great competition for the souls of men and women. Spectators. They stand at the sidelines shouting words of encouragement, praying and giving financial support to the, quote, full-time Christian workers. However, their involvement normally ends here. If the job doesn't get done and the church is not increasing, they feel badly, but they have no personal sense of responsibility because discipleship is the job of the pastor. I'm going to tell you, because I love you, I've been told, you've been told with one another to teach, to observe all that Jesus commanded. That's a tall order. We need to be busy about it. This is talking about the danger of clergyism. We learned from Hebrews 10 that we should all be considering how to stir one another up to love and good works. And from our passage this morning, we see that as a part of discipleship, you must lay a strong foundation of good doctrine. If you notice, we're following those three layers again. As I mentioned, we're seeing those three layers playing out in how Paul is coaching Titus to go about discipling people in the church of Crete where he is uh, stationed. Lay a strong foundation of good doctrine. Titus is told, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. The definition of the word sound here is that it doesn't move. Doctrine that doesn't move. Now, I just want you to notice here something real quick. That is the exact opposite of progressivism. Progressive Christianity believes that the church and the scriptures and our view of God should be progressing. But I and you are called to teach what accords with sound, unmoving doctrine. I'll say this again. Two points that progressive politics and progressive Christianity have in common. Because they both have adopted evolution as their framework, they believe, one, man is basically good. So anything that comes from deep within the heart of man should be embraced and encouraged. If he wants to change his gender, if he wants to love the same sex as himself, if he wants to be polyamorous, if he wants to leave his family and go find himself, if it comes from deep within his heart, it must be good and it must be embraced. And both progressive politics and progressive Christianity says it's immoral for you to stand in his way. It's the new morality. The second point that both progressive politics and progressive Christianity have in common is they view the founding documents whether it be the Constitution or the Scriptures, as an evolving document that should be changing as we progress. We're called to teach what accords with sound, 
unmoving doctrine. God's word. This brings us to what is it that accords with sound doctrine? That's supposed to be taught. He says, for the grace of God has appeared. This is in verses 11 through 14 of the same chapter. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. That sounds very different than someone saying, don't you ever stand in the way of what somebody's heart desires. No, Scripture tells us the heart is deceitful. And desperately wicked. Who can understand it? And he goes on. Waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the the glory of our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ. Who gave himself for us. To redeem us from all lawlessness. And to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Who are zealous for good works. This is what accords with sound doctrine. We read here of the assurance that God has equipped us with what we need to be discipled through his word. The grace of God is training us. And the question is whether you are willing to join with God's grace in others' lives or to welcome others into your life to help yourself to be trained. And the end result is that the grace of God should change us, making us more like Christ. Specifically, we see rather than living like the Cretans around them, with Cretans was like a word for basically uh, debauchery in that culture. And here, this is the the city of Crete, the island of Crete, I think it is, um, that Titus is pastoring there. Specifically, rather than living like the Cretans around them, Titus is told to teach the older men to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. These were new believers, folks, saved out of a completely pagan culture. And the older women, likewise, he's to, to teach them to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. Titus is also to have, the, to have the older women to teach the younger women. I think part of this is to protect Titus's integrity. As basically, Titus, you're not to be teaching the younger women. But it's also illustrating how the body of Christ is to teach one another. And, and they're, they're uh, to teach and to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So Titus is told is what the older women are to teach the younger women about following Christ in their context. And Titus is to teach the younger men Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. You know, I don't know about you, but I would not buy this house after a flood. Right? I mean, sitting on the edge of a, um, a, the bank of a creek that's basically washed half away from underneath the house. Our lives need to be based on the firm foundation of God's word. But Jesus also said that the one who hears his word and does them 
that it's like their life is built like a house built on solid rock. But the one who hears his words and doesn't do them, it's like they're building their house on sand. And when the floods come, the foundation is just going to wash away. Building our lives on God's word is more than just knowing the truth. It's about living the truth. Discipleship goes beyond learning the truth. It goes to seeing the truth and living the truth. The foundation of biblical doctrine is important for a good foundation of understanding any issue. Any any of those, those buildings you build within the city of your walk with the Lord, if you will. I consider this time that we spend in God's Word every Sunday morning as being crucial for living biblically, as a biblically sound congregation. You notice in in those verses in Hebrews 10, verses 24 through 25, as we've mentioned, to, to spur one another on, to stir up one another toward love and good works. It is antithetical to that to neglect meeting together doing church together. Realize, as I said, progressive thought or wokeness, even within the church, it begins with poor doctrine. It begins with the false idea that man is born basically good and innocent. And it's just the things around him that has corrupted him. It's just the things around him. It's his parents. It's society. To the point where the, the, the suicide rate within the homosexual community is so terrible, but it continues to just be blamed on the culture around them. Well, the problem is that they haven't been accepted enough. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm well aware that Sweden is far more accepting of homosexuality than any other nation, and yet the suicide rate among homosexual youth is the same. But, but it begins with a, the unsound doctrine that it's not the fault of the heart of the person, it's everybody else's fault. We've got to get at the root of sin within the heart for there to be life change. That's a freeing doctrine. Thinking, think of our children's ministry and youth. The foundational layer of teaching highlights the vital importance of children's ministry and the desperate nature of our call to be teaching and equipping our youth. I am so grateful for Jeff's investment and for our ability to have a pastor investing. You know, Jeff writes himself our children's curriculum for our children each week. And equips adults to be to be teaching them, and I am so glad to know as there as as this has been the harvest, the tradition at Harvest for a long time. Prior to us having a discipleship pastor, to be investing in our children, and I'm and we appreciate your support, and your interest in how the youth group is going on Sunday evenings. We see it as vitally important for that foundation of teaching together to be laid for them. A strong foundation is crucial 
for any structural that's laid on it. And typically, additions to a building aren't going to be planned outside of that footprint of the original foundation. We are laying a footprint for our children, and we ask that you be investing, of course, in your children's biblical understanding. If, if, if I say that and you're like, oh, no, I can't do that, get some coaching on it. We would love to provide that for you. The same way it's important that we give great care to teaching the young people the truth. Uh, one of the things that, that we as leadership <clears throat> and our facilities team is starting to recognize, and we're just kind of throwing it out there saying, Let's be praying this about a body, as a body of believers. Uh, that mod out there is just getting older. All right? And we're starting to look at it and starting to think, okay, it either needs to be replaced or we need to think about building something for the children's ministry that is more, you know, uh, tornado-proof. Um, <laughs> no, but that does not need to be the, our second thought with that. And we're not going to be going through a process where we razzle-dazzle you and give you this big presentation or something. We're simply saying, let's be praying as a body. Lord, how do you want us to be investing facility-wise in this area of children's ministry and youth? Uh, Because we need to do some investing in it. So we ask that you be praying about that. We believe that the direction that the Lord leads us in, there will be a unity of the Spirit among us to do so. Um, So we'll just keep praying. Be praying individually on that. So one of the truths that we learn pretty quickly is that it takes effort to grow in Christ. Or as D.L. Moody put it this, when I was converted, I made this mistake. I thought the battle was mine. The victory won. I fought. I found out after serving Christ a few months that conversion was only like enlisting in the army. There was a battle on hand, end quote. I want to share with you, that was a quote that was shared with us um, at our men's retreat where Dr. Jeff from DTS was our speaker. I also just, uh, going through some of his notes and things, I also found this that I wanted to make available to you on the stand back there. There's about 20 copies back there. Um, And I'd love it if somebody came to me and said, hey, they're all gone. Can you make another copy? And I can do that. But it's a consumer, a Christian consumer versus devoted disciple. On the, on the left side, it's the Christian consumer. And on the right side, it's devoted disciple. And, and at the top, it says, the Christian consumer lives for self and dies for nothing. The devoted disciple lives, lives and dies for Christ. The Christian consumer waits to be spiritually fed by others. The devoted disciple develops spiritual hunger. For the Christian consumer, their faith gives out when life is hard. For the devoted disciple, they endure hard things faithfully. And and this is just kind of like we progress from here to here as we grow in discipleship. And that's just kind of an opportunity for you to kind of see some of those specific things. Maybe it's one of those things that you read through there and you say, "That's, that's what I need right there. We just want to get these tools into your hands. So in addition to laying a strong foundation of good doctrine, our verses show how we must live out the truth for others to learn. And this is referencing that second layer of demonstrating what it means to follow Christ. Uh, Notice what, it's not hard to pick these out. 
where we're told older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women. The older women's ability to train the younger was found in their ability to be godly women. Notice the Christian woman's ability to model what it means to be a godly woman is based both in her ability to follow Christ and in her ability to share sound truth. The younger women looking to their matriarchs of the faith with with that. Titus is told, show yourself also in all respect to be a model demonstrating good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. Titus himself was called to be a model of Christ-likeness also to the younger men. Even with those who had uh, full access. Those that he had full access. So, so it's kind of like in being encouraged, hey, let the older women train and teach the younger women. You know, for, for single Titus. There's a lot of wisdom in this, but also this is the way that it should be going about in the body of Christ. But with those he had full access to, those being the younger men, he, he was to teach all that he wanted, modeling his walk with Christ in integrity. And this was desperately needed. Scripture is clear of our example to follow Christ. To be, to be a Christ follower, we're told in 1 Peter Chapter 1, verses 15 through 16. As, as he who called you is holy, speaking of Christ, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you should be holy, for I am holy. As much as we are examples of following Christ, we are good examples to others. Because guess what? We're supposed to display what it means to demonstrate following Christ. Think of the examples that you can read about in the scriptures. Think of how Joseph fled the sexual temptation of Potiphar's wife. And he's an example of what we're told in 1 Thessalonians to flee immorality. He, did, he, was, he is demonstrating that for us as we read about that in the book of Genesis. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel. That they wouldn't, be, they wouldn't bow to the idols of their day despite the threats to their lives. And they're demonstrating for us what it looks like to know what it means to live is Christ. And to die, let's gain. They're demonstrating that in the pages of Scripture. And we need to be demonstrating what it means to follow Christ for one another. So next week we'll actually be looking at the lives of the saints. As we get back to Hebrews 11. And I, I've been so looking forward to this. We're going to be going to have a whole mini-series here where, where most of the people that are mentioned and described, we're going to go back into the story of their lives and understand what's being described there in Hebrews 11, what's being called the, the Hall of Faith. But we're going to be seeing the lives of these faithful saints with their faith in Christ demonstrated for us. See, I share this to show this is timeless. This is not some newfangled idea. Ever, since the beginning of biblical history, we have needed others who have faith in our Lord to demonstrate that faith for us, to learn from them. And I hope you see the value of being, say, in a small group, sharing your walk with the Lord. 
We're not going to accomplish so much discipleship just here on Sunday mornings as far as what we do as a corporate body. There's great value in being with each other during the week, sharing of your lives with each other. There's value in seeing how God works in our lives and how we, um, how we um, work God into our lives as well as he deserves. You ever feel like you just read one book after another about what it means to grow in Christ and then it stops there? Maybe you attend a conference with a friend and maybe you reflect on how you want to grow from that and and, and then it just kind of peters out from there and hasn't seemed to help. Maybe maybe it just dwindles away. Learning without doing just involves the mind. Changing the mind is very important. Taking our thoughts captive is very important. Changing our thinking, making it like like having the mind of Christ is very important. But discipleship goes beyond that to how we live our lives. Not just being hearers of the word, but doers of it also. This usually requires doing it together. In our approach, we call this coaching. You can call it mentoring, call it, uh, call it uh, coming alongside and, and, and actively, knowingly, on the part of both parties, helping one another in a specific area of following Christ. The main difference is that there's an understanding of what's going on in the discipleship relationship. It's not incognito, if I mentioned, the way that displaying our walk with Christ can often be. Learn from our verses here how we need one another to encourage application with accountability. With one another, encourage application with accountability. Notice what Paul uh, writes to Titus in chapter 3, verse 14. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. The goal of following Christ is to be fruitful in our following him. It's to impact our lives. A quote that I shared with you before is that this, a Christian is the mind through which Christ thinks, a heart through which Christ loves, a voice through which Christ speaks, a hand through which Christ helps. And discipleship allows us to be a better follower of Christ, a better heart for him, a better voice for him, a better hand for him to use. You know, it's always a challenge to coach children. All right? Because when it comes to like bearing fruit, it's not points that you're shooting for. You know, it's a love for the game, it's learning teamwork. It's learning that, you know, chasing the soccer ball around is better than picking dandelions. Now, I'm sure for some of you, and I'm, I'm going to see this soon, I know, you, you take, uh, you know, time out of your busy Saturday, you're so excited to go see your grandkid on the soccer field picking dandelions. As the rest of the kids are just kind of this mob around the ball, you know, trying not to just, trying to kick the ball and not each other's shins. It's a challenge to coach children. And what makes or breaks the coaching layer of discipleship on any given issue are these two things, I think. One, the person's desire to learn and develop. 
And two, the coach's willingness to hold the person accountable to growth. Those are key to a coaching relationship, that coaching layer of discipleship. Notice uh, the areas that, that Paul is coaching Titus to minister to his congregation, telling Jim, urge the young men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. These were things that Paul would be holding Tim Titus accountable to. You know, I don't know about you, but I have never been interested in watching the Pro Bowl, the NFL Pro Bowl. I just, I I think I saw it once, and I was just like, what is this? I mean, it is, it's, it's a total honor for these guys to be there. They've reached the pinnacle of their sport. They're at the top of their game. Uh, The elite among some of the most amazing athletes that weren't chosen for it. But the game is more like a football game after eating Thanksgiving dinner than the Super Bowl, right? It's like, are these guys just like lollygagging? They're just like joking with each other and all that. I have no interest in seeing some of the most amazing athletes on the planet taking it easy. And have, it's like a game of pickup football. I think part of the reason why they take it so easy is that there's nothing on the line. Right? There doesn't seem to be that there's a reason to risk injury or to try their very best. And I, and I understand that, you know, but I'm not going to watch it. In coaching one another in following Christ, the point is for us to be reminded that we have a lot on the line. We have a next generation that is on the line. I've been thinking more and more as laws change, as, as our freedoms are rejected, I've been thinking, you know, I, I think I need to get serious about memorizing huge pieces of Scripture. Because I might be sitting in a cell one day without my Bible. Because I'm not going to stop preaching the truth. We have a lot on the line. Our ability to follow Christ. The next generation's ability to follow Christ. We've got to put it out there, folks. We need to leave it on the field. We challenge each other to take following Christ seriously, to challenge each other with the question, how are you going to love your wives today? How are you going to love them this week? And to hold them accountable. That's what it looks like. To come back together and to ask, did you memorize those verses like we decided? To answer the phone and hear a friend ask for help with temptation that temptation that you've been coaching them on, to send an encouraging text, letting that disciple to know that you're praying for them while they work in a place that it's hard to follow Christ in. Coaching can look like any of these actions. An accountability to grow helps prepare us for the ultimate account that we will give. Notice that in the end of these verses that we've been looking at from Hebrews 10. To do all this, to consider how to stir one another up toward love and good works, to not neglect meeting together, to encourage one another, all the more as you see the day drawing near. That day is the day of Christ's return. 
that day that we will give an account of how we followed him. And we'll give an account for our brothers and sisters and how we helped one another to follow him. On that day, we're going to realize just how true it is that Jesus is everything. Now, I don't mean to pressure you, and I'm not going to feel like more or less successful with the more of these sheets that we get back, but it's an opportunity for you. Uh, the last time we did this in 2015, you know, we were able to set up about four or five uh, pairs of people to specifically coach one another in following Christ. And, that, and, and that's what we want to see is harvesters helping harvesters to follow Christ. And so this week and, and next week and the following, we'll have these available. There's a basket in the back there, and we'll, that basket is going to be there. We want you to be praying about reaching out for coaching in following Christ. And, and so, and, and praying about, is, is there an area that, that God wants to use you? Or which area does God want to use you in coaching someone else in following Christ? And hopefully... And that three-layer approach is a tool that will help you to do so. Let's bow our heads together.